0: Vian is preaching for us, for those of you that don't know Vian or haven't seen him here before, I think he was up about what's it, five weeks or so ago. So um, Vian is one of our up and coming pastors, we love to hear from Vian, um, we actually believe that there was a, and we see the fruit in his life of living a life devoted to Christ, um, long before he stood in front here yeah, and preached. And so we see this just as the natural outflow of his gifting, we're happy to give you the stage Vian, and um, in Werner's absence we just say thank you for serving us and we're open to receive tonight thank you anu. Thank you, guys it's a privilege to be here tonight and to share with you the word of God and they always make two jokes when I preach the first thing is they say you know that I preach too long and then the second is I speak too fast so then I'm not sure which one you know I should I should compromise on because if I speak slower that will take longer but we won't be longer than an hour and a half tonight I'm just making a joke um, I'm trying to be quick tonight, but tonight we're speaking about, if we can just get that first light up, the king and his kingdom. And I'm just so blessed by the worship that, that we just had, you know, the king of our hearts, that is Jesus, and the one who gave it all for us, the one that died on the cross, servant and king. You know, as Carl also just said a, a word afterwards, you know, that God is a God who speaks, and we're going to look about some of that tonight, which um, just firstly to say it's like... I just said, I'm, I'm Vian, I'm also a part of the church, I also have a lovely wife, she's not here at the moment, she had her wisdom teeth removed, so she's a big dick back, but it's not for you know, the whole weekend everybody thinks that she's mad because, you know, but uh, it's just because her wisdom teeth got removed, so please pray for her as well, um, but let me just pray for us before we start. Yes, Father, thank you, Lord, that we can just come before you, Father, and know, Lord, that you are God, Father. You are the one that leads. You are the one that guides, Father. And thank you that you are the one that always speaks, Father. And I just come and pray, Lord, that you'd open our eyes tonight, Lord, that we might see the King, Father, and open our ears, Lord, that we might hear your voice, Lord. And May your church bear much fruit, Father, and bring your kingdom, Lord, that your kingdom come, and you will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. So, cool, guys, just quickly, when we're speaking about... The kingdom of God, you know, in in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, in the ESV translation, we find the kingdom of God being mentioned 160 times. It's not a special number why it's rounded off, just 160 times. 126 times in the Gospels alone, and then 34 times in the Epistles and uh, Revelation. And the reason, many people ask, you know, why does it get mentioned so little in the Epistles and Revelations, you know, the letters after the Gospels? And that is because there is now a focus on Jesus that is Lord. So synonymous with the Kingdom is Jesus is Lord. He is the King. So in speaking about the Kingdom, we are speaking about the reign and the rule of God. It's not a specific area, it's not a specific people even. It's just God's rule and reign, God's sovereignty, the Lordship of Jesus. That is what the Kingdom of God means. And in a sense, the Kingdom is already here, but in a sense the Kingdom must still come. You know, it's when Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. You know, it's here, but it's not here fully. And we know that when Jesus comes back, you know, and he has a name written on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and then his kingdom will be finally established and he will rule and reign over everything for always. But in a certain sense, Jesus is busy reigning and he's busy ruling through our lives at this very moment as well. And we're going to take a look at that a bit tonight. And we're going to speak about a passage found in John 2 from verse 23 to John 3, verse 21. Um, It's the same passage of Scripture, and the passage in John 2 is actually a build-up to the passage we find in John 3. But just before we begin, I just want to ask us a question. Who has ever had a week where you just think to yourself, oh, this is not a good week. I'm I'm not the best person, you know, and, and I feel so far removed from God, and I wonder if I am actually saved. You know, I've, I've had one of those a couple of times. You know, coming into the church at the back and it feels like, brown was going on? and It's like, I don't know if I'm saved there. I, I just feel so far removed from God. And when I look at this week, it is not that nice. You know, I don't, I don't feel like I've earned it this week. You know, if we were judged based upon our works, then this was a bad work week for me. I would have not received a good judgment. You know, and, and many times, you know, it's, it's the fundamentalist question we can ask ourselves and that we as believers, we want assurance about it. We want to know whether we are saved or not. We want to answer to this question. And that is why we asked it to ourselves many times. You know, and many times we, this same passage of scripture that we're going to speak on, you know, Jesus saying to Nicodemus that you must be born again. And many times we say, okay, no, but you must be born again. But now again, how do we know if we are born again? What is the science? And as we go through this chapter tonight, we're not going to focus so much on the fact of being born again because speaking to the church, you know, born again people, we're not out somewhere doing an outreach preaching to the people that, we might, that they must be born again, but I believe that all of us, well we should be all of us born again because we are here believing in Jesus and we're seeking Jesus. So we're going to focus on what does Jesus actually say the outcome of this born again must be. If we are born again, what is the tokens, what is the signs, what is the symbols of what needs to happen when we are born again? How can we know? We see Paul writing to the church in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 14 verse 5, test yourself, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith, and it's something that we want to do, and we test ourselves in weird ways when we ask ourselves this question, so let's see what the Bible has to say about this, and I hope tonight I can give us three points, or maybe better state the three questions, that when we ask ourselves, when we get an answer to those questions, we can see whether we are truly saved, truly born again, truly believe in Jesus. If we can go to the first slide. This is an introduction to John 3, um, you know, Jesus speaking to Nicodemus, and also John 4, where Jesus speaks to the woman at the well. And just an encouragement, just a small tip, you know, when you read your Bible, we are so, so often when we read a chapter, we cut off our thoughts when the chapter is finished, or little subheadings, you know, we cut off the thought. But if you go and read your Bibles, you'll see most, especially of the letters that were written, a new chapter, a new subheading begins with therefore, or because of, or for this reason. And then it's like, I never know when to stop reading. Because, you know, because of, okay, now I must read further because it's going to explain what needs to happen because of, or therefore. And we saw this beautiful example at marriage prep as well. It says, therefore, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And the therefore is very important because if the therefore is not there, then the rest cannot follow. So just, just a bit of an encouragement. So I'm going to read it for us. John 2, verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man. For he himself knew what was in man. And this scripture is, you know, for many people, you can just at that one for a while, a bit unsettling. You know, because, you know, what's actually going on here, because we read in John 1 verse 12, that to whoever received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, the sons of God. But this scripture says that Jesus did not entrust himself to these people who believed in his name. You know, like Carl said, you know, Jesus is the good shepherd and he calls out his own sheep by name. He calls them to himself. He goes to them and he leads them out. He's the good shepherd. But in this case, Jesus is not doing this to these people. He's not entrusting himself to them. In other words, this belief that they have in his name, because of the signs, is a superficial one. It's not saving faith. Yeah, a bit of a unsettling feeling. Because many of us, you know, especially in, in Africa, Africa is the most safe continent on earth. With the most corruption, the most poverty, but we are the most saved. Because it's a superficial one. Believing in Jesus. Because of the signs. And in other words, it says here, because Jesus himself knew what was in man. So what is in man? The same thing that was the problem then is the problem now. Self-centeredness. Jealousy. That is the problem. We are living for ourselves. And Jesus comes and he says he's opposing this kingdom of selfishness. And he's bringing a kingdom of selflessness. Where even the king lays down his life. And he said, I will model this first. I will show you first. If I being the head, the king, the Lord of lords, lay down my life. That is the kingdom that's coming. And it says there, because of the signs, the people believed. In other words, because of the benefits. That is consumerism. Because of what I can get, I believe in the name of Jesus. And we see this still today, you know, somewhere on TV. I'm sure if you flip through there, there will be someone preaching. And I wish Werner could do this accent of this right now. But if you believe in Jesus, you'll have health, wealth, and prosperity. Yes. Just give some funds into this number. Buying our way into heaven, or when we give 100 rand, we'll receive 1,000 rand. You know, stuff like that. And that is the prosperity gospel. That is a superficial faith. And we see today as well. It is time. Millions of people gather to pray. Not only at one place, but all around South Africa. What are they praying for? We need a sign, God. We want rain. And the rain has fallen in Cape Town, but where are the millions that give thanks? It doesn't happen. When Jesus was on earth, people following him, when, when he was giving out bread and fish, thousands of people. But when he was crucified, one guy. Only John was there. Nobody else. The greatest moment in history. No one there because they don't think that they can benefit from this. That is consumerism. That is the belief that they had in Jesus. Because we can get, that is why we follow. And uh, on a bit of a lighter note, I always think about, you know, the first miracle in John 2 was Jesus turning the water into wine. Imagine if that happened publicly in Secunda. (laughs) Oh, everybody would have believed in his name. You know, they make a lot of jokes. You know, they say, in Cape Town, if you drink five beers, then you're alcoholic. In Secunda, if you drink five beers, then you're the driver always making that jokes in Sekuna. Now when I see Garmo thinking about, uh, you know, oats if it would have happened there, and sorry for the English people, but I just I have to do this in Afrikaans right now, and I imagine Garmo going to the wedding, he sees Jesus, big piles of water, and he turns it into wine. Garmo goes home. Tell my brother, I can't believe what I've checked here. What have you That's <laughs> a man daar. Hy vat a groot water in water, and hy maak it in wine. He said, my brother, you don't have to Because there's benefit for us. I mean, if we can do that, surely we're going to follow Jesus. We'll never have to buy something to drink or something to eat ever again. He'll supply all our needs. But that is a superficial faith. And that faith is not able to save. Um, so, So now we have to ask ourselves the question, what then can make us this children of God? What should this faith look like? What are the questions that we can ask ourselves to see whether we are in the faith? And let's look at the story of Nicodemus. It says then, John 3 verse 1, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs you do, unless God is with him. Again the Nicodemus, having the same misconception, as the guys that just believed. And it says that We know that you are a teacher come from God because he is a ruler of the Jews. He is representing the people. We know that you are a man come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. A lot of focus in works on that passage, but we'll get to that in a moment. Quite a big passage, but we're going to break it into pieces and just look at three main points that we can get from this passage. If we can go to the next slide then, John 3 verse 1. And I quickly just want us to focus quickly in verse 2 and look at Nicodemus' statement of faith. His view of Jesus, you know, who Jesus is. And he says there, Rabbi, which means teacher, we know that you are a teacher, come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. So in other words, Jesus is saying that Jesus comes from God, that God is with him, that he is a teacher of God, and that God's power works through Jesus. That's quite an high view of Christ. I mean, he's stating here, you know, you are not a normal person. You are someone sent from God. But still, Jesus says to Nicodemus, truly, really, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. There is an error in your judgment. There is something missing. Because quickly think of this. Who has the same view of Jesus still to this day? The Jews. If you ask them about Jesus, they'll, they'll tell you that. Good teacher. Someone who came from God, someone that, that God was with him because he did a lot of signs. Now the shocking part, if you're going to ask the Muslims about Jesus, same view. If you're going to ask the Muslims what they think about Jesus, they will tell you he's a prophet. Man sent from God, good teacher, did a lot of signs and God was with him. So if we only have that view, it is not enough. That's what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus, it is not enough. And quickly, does think for ourselves, when we think about Jesus, faith, the kingdom of God, what comes to mind? What do we think about? Maybe fellowship, the church, small group, reaching the lost missions. You know, the prosperity gospel, they think about health, wealth, finances, all of that. And Jesus did come so that we might have life and life in abundance. He did come for those things. He did come for deliverance. He did come for healing. He did come for fellowship. He did come for the church. But if we think about that and we do not see that Jesus is the king, all is in vain. Because look at Nicodemus, Pharisee, knew the Bible, knew the scriptures, ruler of the Jews, you know, an in church, he knew everything. He thought Jesus was a good man, a good teacher, and that God was with him, but that is not enough. And when Jesus is saying to him, you cannot see the kingdom of God, surely he's not speaking about heaven because then I'm not born again, because I can't see heaven. I mean, none of us, if you quickly look around, he's not speaking about heaven. Jesus is saying, you cannot see the king. Because for there to be a kingdom, there needs to be a king. And that is Nicodemus' issue. Jesus is telling him, I'm not just a good teacher, I'm not just someone that came from God, I'm not just someone that God is with, I am the king. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. The King must be lifted up. And God shows that through His kingdom, it must be most gloriously revealed in a King that died for us and that was risen again. And only afterwards, seated at the right hand of the Father. But Jesus is the King. You know, and we see, like I said in the Gospel, 126 times a mention of the Kingdom, 55 times in Matthew's Gospel alone. But in John's Gospel, only three mentions of the Kingdom. The first one is here when Jesus says you cannot see the kingdom. The second is when he says you cannot enter the kingdom. And the third was when he spoke to Pilate just before his crucifixion in John 18, 36. Jesus explaining to, to, to Pontius Pilatus that his kingdom is not of this world. And he understands something better than Nicodemus did. And when Jesus says my kingdom is not of this world, Nicodemus, Pilate replies, so you say you are king. And Jesus says... You say that I'm a king. For this reason I was born and for this reason I came into the world. To bear witness to the truth. What is the truth? That Jesus is the king. And then Pontius, you also understand it just halfway. You know, He takes Jesus outside and he says to the Jews, in, um, I think it's in chapter 1839, he says to the Jews, I have this thing that I do for you guys. I, I, I release one prisoner in Passover. Do you want to release the king of the Jews? Speaking about Jesus. And Pilate's not realizing that he's more than the king of the Jews. He's king over Pilate as well. He's the name above every name. There's no one greater than Jesus. He has even authority over Pilate. And when Pilate says to Jesus that, do you not know that I have authority to crucify you or to let you go? Jesus says, no, you don't have authority over me unless it has been given to you from above. For the king is standing in your midst. And if we can quickly go to the next slide. It says here in Luke 18.21, Jesus, speaking to the Pharisees, they asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? And Jesus says, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Behold, look, the king is standing in your midst. Because there's some translations that translate this, that the kingdom of God is within you. But that is wrongly translated, because the Greek there can mean within or among. And he was speaking to the Pharisees, and surely the kingdom of God was not in the Pharisees. And he's saying to them, the kingdom of God is among you, the king is standing among you. Can you see the King? And then in the Gospels, Romans ten, verse nine. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not if you confess that Jesus is a good teacher, not if you confess that he's someone sent from God, but that he is Lord, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So that takes us to the first question. Can you see the King? Is Jesus the king of our lives, or is he just someone that's in our lives? Now, do, we, do we give God a, a part of our lives, or do we give him our whole lives? Because if you want Jesus to save your life, you must give him your life. Not just a bit, but all of it. You know, and the same is true with the story of Jesus multiplying the fish and the bread, and the little boy comes, and he has five loaves of bread and two fishes. And Jesus could have multiplied one loaf of bread and one piece of fish, But he's illustrating, I want it all. I want everything. Not just a little bit. And it's easy to go and see, you know, if maybe you drive home and you quickly stop at the ATM and you print out your bank statements, you go home, open up your calendar, and see where you spend your money and your time, you'll see who's the king. Is it myself or is it Jesus? Because easy question, how can we know that Jesus is king of our lives? Are we willing to sacrifice for him? Are you willing to sacrifice for the king? Because then he is truly king of your lives. But if we are not willing to sacrifice, that's consumerism. We want him to sacrifice for us. He came and gave his life and I can just live mine. And Paul understood this. He writes in Galatians 2 verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. I'm no longer king of my life. Jesus is king of my life. He is the one that lives through me. And just on that note, as I see, I would really like to commend them on this aspect, because they know that Jesus is king. I mean, people planning their whole life, you know, deciding that they want to go and retire, bala bala, gets a piece of land, and uh, suddenly God comes and does a miraculous work in their lives, and now they're saying, you know, if God says we must move somewhere else, we're moving. Even though we planned this for the longest part of our lives, and we saved for this place, and we saved for this time, if the king says no, then we won't go. That is the kingship of Jesus. And I just really want to honor you for that. And just the example that you said to us, you know, as the younger generation, for people that know who the king is and how to serve the king. I just really want to commend them for that. And then John the Baptist also gives us a bit of an example. When we read further in the same chapter in verse 36, John the Baptist is exalting Christ. And he says in verse 36, that whoever believes in the Son of God shall have eternal life. But whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains in him. Isn't it interesting that he doesn't say those who believe and those who don't believe, but he says those who believe and those who don't obey. Because we cannot say that we believe in Jesus if we don't obey Jesus. Because he's the king. It's, It's not the democracy of God, it's the kingdom. We don't vote. If God says do it, then we do it. It's as simple as that, because he's the king. And we know that we're not living for this life. Jesus came to, to show us that. In this life, how he was king was on a cross with a crown of thorns. But the life that is to come, he's going to sit on a throne with a gold crown on his head. Because we're not living for this life. And Jesus knew that, and he came to show that to us. So belief, obedience goes together. Just like faith, love, and obedience. You know, We cannot have faith without loving God and loving those around us. And Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. We need to obey the King. When Jesus speaks, we should listen. And that takes us to point number two. John 3 verse 8. It says there, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And the Scripture is speaking about two things. Firstly, the work of regeneration, the born-again process or born-from-above process, is the work of the Holy Spirit. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do it. Um, We cannot play a part. We cannot earn it. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. But secondly, Jesus is using a plain word here. Um, That word wind in the Hebrew is ruach, which means wind, breath, or spirit. The same with the Greek. The New Testament was written in Greek, Old Testament in Hebrew. So the word here, wind, in the Greek is, is pneuma. It can also mean wind, breath, or spirit. And that word here can be translated as hear or listen to. And sound is the word phone that can be translated as hear, uh, um, sound or voice. So when Jesus is saying the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, it's saying the Holy Spirit speaks and we listen to it. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Not some of us, but all of us. The Holy Spirit is the one who regenerated us. He's the one that connects us to the Father. And in the same way, if you don't have signal, no messages come through. In the same way, when the signal comes back, the messages come through. The same way with the Holy Spirit, He's the one that connects. I'm not saying he's some kind of signal, he's a person, but he connects us with God. He's the one that speaks with everyone born of the Spirit. We are supposed to hear the voice of God. If we can quickly go to the next slide just to illustrate this. Romans 8 verse 14, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. All who are led by the Spirit of God. By default, if you're not led by the Spirit of God, then you're not the son of God. And how does the Holy Spirit lead? Look at this, Acts 13 verse 2. It says, While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then Jesus also says in John 16 verse 13, You can go and read John 14 and verse 16, speaks a lot about the work of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus is saying in John 16, verse 13, that when the Spirit of truth comes, speaking about the Holy Spirit, He will reveal to you all truth, and He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak to you. Whatever He hears Jesus say, whatever He hears the Father say, He will reveal to us, but He will speak to us. And to just say this to us, you know, as Christians, it's not normal to go weeks and months without hearing the voice of God. It's not normal. It's not supposed to be that way. We are supposed to be led by God continuously. Like all said, God is speaking. And his sheep hear his voice. We are supposed to hear his voice. If we are a sheep, we must hear his voice. And what's so profound for me about this scripture in Acts 13 verse 2, in Acts 12, Barnabas and Saul is coming from the church in Jerusalem. They went to give them some funds because they were poor, poor people in Jerusalem. at the end of chapter 12, they come back. What's the first thing they do in chapter 13? They're seeking God. Where must we go? Where do you want to send us next? And as Christians, when we don't hear the voice of God, we should seek the voice of God. And it says yet so beautifully, they were worshipping the Lord and fasting. We many times fast, but we don't worship the Lord. We set ourselves apart from food, or from social media, or from whatever it might be, but never towards God. And then it's in vain. You need to consecrate yourself away from something towards God. But they said, you know, if we do not hear the voice of God, that's not normal for us, and we're going to seek the voice of God until he speaks. Isaiah 10 verse 12 says, break up the fellow ground, the hard ground, and many times we feel like that. You know, it's difficult to hear from God and the ground is hard. But then it says, seek the Lord until he comes and rains down righteousness upon you. And some of us need to do that tonight. We need to go and seek God until he speaks, until he comes and rains down righteousness upon us. That takes us to question number two. Do you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit? Are we hearing the voice of God? Or maybe a better question would be, are we seeking the voice of God? You know, when when we don't hear the voice of God, when we feel distant from God, you know, how many times do we get that, that thought, you know, maybe I must fast, maybe I must seek God, maybe I must work wake up earlier, maybe I should just put some time on one side to really see God? And then, uh, no, I don't feel like it. Because I'm still king of my own life. Jesus is not the king. But when He is truly king, we will seek his voice. Because he's the one that, he, I'm now in his rule and reign, I'm in his kingdom. He's the one that rules and reigns over my life. He's the one that dictates, he's the one that says, and he's the one that shows. So if I'm not hearing his voice, by who am I being led? And we should seek the voice of God. And... Uh, I really believe um, that all of the issues we face in church and as believers can be connected to one of these two things. Either the fact is that Jesus is not king, or we are not hearing his voice. All of the the issues we face as a church, all of the stuff we go through, if Jesus is king and we hear his voice, I believe that that would really be sorted out, and that our lives will be much better, because he's king and he speaks. And then inevitably good things will follow. So when we mix these two things, when we add Jesus as king to the Holy Spirit that speaks, good works will inevitably flow. And that takes us to the last point. To just quickly follow. Read then John uh, 3 verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it might be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. I know Jesus here saying that you cannot say that you follow me. You cannot say that I'm king over your life, but walk the other way. You cannot say Jesus is king while still living in darkness. You cannot say we belong to the kingdom of light while still living in darkness. It's either or. There's, no, there's not the kingdom of, of shadow or grayness. It's either light or darkness. There's no halfway about it. You know, and inevitably, these things will follow. Um, and it's same like John 15, you know, Jesus speaking about he's the vine, we are the branches. And when we abide in him, we will bear much fruit. It says, whoever abides in me, he it is that bears much fruit. Not he it is that will maybe, or that can, or that should. But he it is that bears much fruit. When Jesus is king and when the Holy Spirit speaks, inevitably good things will follow. And the two pieces of passages that speak about this born-again process, in the Old Testament we have Ezekiel 3, 6. You can go and read through that. That's actually a great passage to go and just read through and meditate upon as well. And it actually gets also the reason why God does this. He says, I'm doing it for my name's sake, for my holiness, to vindicate my name among the nations. That is why I'm doing this. And then Titus 3. And to just quickly look at what they say at the end will be the outflow of this born again process. What would be inevitably the effect of this? And we read in Ezekiel 36 verse 27. And I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statues And be careful to obey my rules. That will be the cause. To walk in the statues of God. And to be careful to obey his rules. That will inevitably follow. Titus 3 verse 8. This actually starts in, in verse 4. It says... Well, the beginning of the chapter, it speaks about, you know, we living in darkness, spending our days in malice, slaves to various passions, hating others and being hated ourselves. And then it says in verse 4, But when the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but by the washing, regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, that born-again process, whom He poured out on us richly, through Christ Jesus our Lord, that being justified by His grace, we might share in his reign, in the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, that who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good work. You know, Paul, writing to Titus, insist on these things. If you say you believe in God, devote yourself to good works. Because it won't be tiresome, it won't, it won't drain you, you won't be burnt out, it will just be the natural outflow of things. If you say you believe in God, then that must be the outflow. Same with James, James chapter 2. If you say you have faith, but you do not have works, then that faith is dead. It cannot save you. If your faith doesn't lead you inevitably to good works, then that is not a saving faith. Because it shows that I'm still king of my own life. And yes, I just want to state this. We will fail. There will be weeks where we think to ourselves, am I saved? We will fail and we will not always obey. But in that moment when we fail, in that moment when we disobey, something inside us should resonate that this is not the way it should be. This is not okay. And then it's easy to every morning get down on your knees and say, Lord, have mercy, because we fall short. We we don't reach it, We we don't get there. And it's fine because that's why Jesus came. And not only did he wash away our sins, but he gave us his righteousness so that no longer by the way we live our lives will we be justified, but only if we believe that Jesus is King. Here, Paul writes in Philippians 3, verse 12, and, and this is someone that's writing a book that counts as scripture, as the Bible, the inspired word of God. And he says, Not that I've attained it, but I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I want you to know that I've not already attained it. But one thing I do, I forget what lies behind me and I press on to what lies ahead. And then he says in verse 14 that all who are mature should think this way. We won't get it right. We won't succeed. Not every time. But let's press on and obey the king of our lives and listen to his voice. That takes us to the last question. Is there good works in and through your life? And many times when... We ask ourselves this question and we see that there isn't good works following. We try to, by force, do good things. And that is dead works. You cannot be good within yourself. Jesus explained that to Nicodemus, Pharisee, ruler of the Jews. It's not good enough. No good thing will let you inherit the kingdom of God. And we should stop burning ourselves out trying to do good things and we should get to the root of the problem. Because the problem is not that we should try and do more or that you try and be better or that we should try and do more good things the issue is that either jesus is not king or we're not hearing the voice of god that is the issue and it's quite a hard word tonight but it is scripture says and, um, and and we should ask ourselves this question often you know test ourselves to see whether we are in the faith And if you don't hear the voice of god go seek him because he will never show you a way if you seek him for those who come to me i will by no means show away. jesus says Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Why? Because He's paid the price. We don't have to. And there's some of us tonight that should stop tiring yourselves out, trying to be good people, and stop trying to do good things, and just see the King. You know, like any said, miracles, the signs, will not save us until we see a resurrection. And that's the resurrection of the Son of God. That He's risen and that He has come to pay the price. We do not have to. Because He already did. And inevitably, He will make good things flow from our lives if we just give ourselves to Him. And then there's some of us that need to go and see God, to hear His voice. You know, maybe you sit here and you're thinking, you know, when, when last did I hear the voice of God? And you can't remember. Or maybe you, you're thinking to yourself, and it's quite a, a while back. But don't be discouraged. Go and see God. He will speak. For He is the Good Shepherd. The good shepherd, he will always bring you in. And he says he leaves the 99 to go and seek for the one that went astray. And the only reason why we ever come back to God is because he's seeking us. If God did not continually seek us, not continually draw us near, we all would just simply fade away. But he is the one that keeps us together. He is the one that holds us. And he is the one that leads us out. So on that note, let's stand and pray.